Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover. Well, welcome everyone to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover. I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group in Wright, Constable, and Skeen. Uh, well, I'm in the Baltimore office, but today I'm down in the Richmond office with my partner, uh, Rich Pleasure. And uh, we thank you for uh, taking a, a moment or two of your day and uh, your continuing support of Surety Today. We ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who may be interested in calling in or checking out one of the podcasts. We also ask that you like or share our uh, Surety Today posts on our social media platforms. When you do that, um, it lets all the Surety folks with whom you're connected see the posts so that they can join in. Remember, you can listen to um, any one or all of our prior 72 episodes of Surety Today anytime, anywhere from any one of our multiple platforms on the Surety Today page on our website at wcslaw.com as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean. Just search for Surety Today and on our microsite at suretytoday.net. The title of our presentation today is the Surety and Financing the Principles, Some Practical Considerations. Uh, it is by necessity part one of, uh, of what will be multiple segments. Um, it's, um, it's that exciting and detailed, I think. So... <laughs> Uh, as always, we've muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise, and we'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. It's going to be a little bit different today. Ordinarily, uh, Rich and I would share the, um, the presentation, but uh, Rich is, is going to go ahead and do the whole thing himself because uh, today is my 35th wedding anniversary, and my wife and I came down to Richmond for the weekend, and he gave me the weekend off so that, uh, so that I could enjoy our celebration and he is prepared to do the presentation and I'll come back in to do the closing. So here we go, Rich. Thank you, Mike, and happy anniversary. I'm gonna begin with a topic heading called a surety's options quote upon default, unquote. And I put them in quotes because we're talking a lot about what happens even if there is not a default or a claim, a declaration of default or a claim, I should say. Uh, in perhaps the typical scenario, in order to trigger a surety's obligation to perform under a performance bond, the obligee would declare a principal's default and or assert a claim. Under those circumstances, the surety generally has five options, most of which all of you probably know. Uh, they include take over and complete the bonded work with or without the principal, tender a completion contractor with payment of the cost differential, finance the principal's completion of the work to cure the default, buy back the bonded obligation, or deny the claim and contest it. The option which we will be focusing on primarily today is the surety's right to finance the principal. While all five options may be available in cases in which a default has been declared or a claim asserted, and any conditions precedent to making a claim have been satisfied, please note that a surety's need to consider its performance options may arise even in the absence of an obligee's declaration of default 
or the assertion of a claim. Many in the industry have strong views on financing as an option to address a principal's default, including me. Indeed, some surety claims handle uh, claims handlers assert that they will never finance. Commenters have shared their views on financing as well as stating that financing is the most controversial and most maligned of the completion options available to the performance bond surety, and that financing is a danger-filled minefield which can lead to disaster. Nevertheless, financing can be a viable option for a surety to pursue in the right circumstances with proper analysis and proper implementation. If the surety is going to finance, it must understand its risks and work to minimize those risks throughout the financing process. Typical risks associated with financing include the possibility that one, the surety's financing will not be recognized as performance under the bond by the obligee and that the penal sum of the bond will not be reduced by the amounts paid by the surety. Two, the surety may not be deemed to be a performing surety under the bond and may not obtain its rights of equitable subrogation. Three, the surety will be viewed as being in control of the principal, which could lead to exposure for certain taxes or other claims. And four, the surety may not be deemed to be a performing surety under the performance bond and may jeopardize its indemnity rights. These risks and others can be managed or even eliminated through a proper financing process. Now, it is important to recognize that in the absence of a formal declaration of default or claim, there are certain communications which may trigger the surety's obligation to mitigate damages and perform under the bond. These communications include communications from the obligee, from subcontractors and suppliers, and from the principal. Why, many ask, would a surety want to meander into the morass of financing its principal? Well, a few examples come to mind, and Mike, if you have any as you look through this, let me know. Number one, a surety may be forced to finance a principal when a lender uses bonded receivables to satisfy credit line balances, even though they are supposed to be held in trust. I'm currently dealing with that right now, and it's an appeal to the Supreme Court of Virginia. Two, given recent pandemic-related problems and economic concerns, supply chain issues may arise when inter which interfere with a principal's ability to obtain a cost-effective in a cost-effective manner, the materials it needs to perform. Three, to mitigate anticipated losses. Yeah, I would say, too, um, that one scenario where you might be looking at financing, at least in part, is when you have, you know, multiple, multiple projects. So I was on one where we had over 20 projects that were underway, and if the principal just fell flat on its face and went out of business, that was going to be a disaster. So there was a there was, you know, fun, financing of some of the jobs, trying to bid out and get rid of some of the jobs, and a, sort of a combination, paying subs and suppliers and, and whatnot. And, and so in that kind of circumstance, it might make sense. I agree, Mike. And that also brings into question something we'll talk about a little bit later, and that is the, uh, the opportunity or obligation to help fund overhead and things like that, which can be problematic in the best, in the best case scenario. Uh, there are critical steps during the surety's investigations, which must be uh, uh, observed. When the, and these can apply to both when the obligee has declared a default or asserted a claim, or in cases when there is no such default or assertion of a claim. The surety needs to thoroughly review the following. The indemnity agreement. While indemnity agreements vary among surety companies and have varied over time, most typical indemnity agreements will contain provisions that permit 
but do not obligate the surety to finance the principal or otherwise provide funding. If the surety's indemnity agreement so provides, the surety may advance or lend money to the principal, which with such advances being conclusively deemed to be a loss to the surety for which the principal and the indemnitors are liable to reimburse the surety. Two, the performance bond. Some performance bonds may permit, prohibit, limit, or condition the surety's right or ability to finance. Moreover, the fact that the indemnity agreement may authorize the surety to finance the principal does not mean that the obligee must accept the performance of the bonded contract by the surety by financing the principal. Some manuscript performance bonds provide the right for the surety to perform by financing the principal. For example, there's a bond form that provides in the event subcontractor shall require financing assistance to complete the subcontract work, the surety may finance subcontractor to the completion of its subcontract work. Uh, direct reasonable project-related completion costs financed by the surety and not refunded to surety by subcontractor, excluding interest expenses and other administrative expenses, shall reduce the penal sum of the bond. The foregoing shall be subject to the prior written approval of the obligee of the financing and the financing plan, as well as any deviations from the original financing plan. While this performance bond provision expressly permits financing and recognizes a reduction of the penal sum, it also limits the right and requires advance approval. More typically, the performance bond will not specifically mention a right to finance, but will generally and broadly provide that the surety may cure the default of the principal. This is a right to cure the default is a broad enough right for the surety to argue that financing is a permissible method of performance under the terms of the bonds. Others like the AIA A312 sets forth many of the options to which I referred earlier. Please note, however, that some versions of the A312, uh, the 2010 version, for example, provide that if the takeover option is selected, that the surety waives the penal sum of the bonds. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is one reason it is important to include a provision in any takeover agreement specifically preserving the penal sum of the bond. In addition, although financing may not be expressly referenced, the right to complete the work by the principal may, may entail financing. Bottom line, the surety needs to fully understand its rights and options. Now, neither the Miller Act nor the standard Miller Act performance bond form address the issue of whether a surety may perform by financing the principal after default. In addition, the federal acquisition regulations do not specifically address financing. However, federal case law clearly provides that the surety's financing of its principal constitutes performance under the Miller Act. In Morgenthau versus Fidelity and Deposit Company of Maryland out of the DC circuit in 1937, the circuit court for the District of Columbia observed that a surety that provides financing is a performing surety to the same extent a surety that takes over and completes the performance of the bonded contract work. Similarly, in Aetna Casualty and Surety v. U.S. Uh, out of the Federal Circuit in 1988, the uh, Federal Circuit held that a, court, a surety that provides financing is a performing surety under a Miller Act performance bond. In addition to the indemnity agreement and the bond, you need to look at the bonded contract. It's important to thoroughly and re review and understand the terms and conditions of the bonded contract particularly since many bond forms incorporate by reference the underlying bonded contract. 
Another source you need to review is an applicable statute, any applicable statutes. Uh, for example, the Commonwealth of Virginia has some particularly onus bond forms which empowers an applicable agency to require specific terms and conditions, something with which I am grappling right now. The surety's underwriting and claims files need to be reviewed. Do they contain any responses to status reports which underwriters often send to an obligee? Letters complaining of the principal's performance or threats to terminate the principal. We see plenty of those without a formal declaration of default. Oftentimes you'll see that there is an agent that gets involved and tries to cover over the problem and deal with it before letting the surety know. That's problematic. Do, they, do the files include any financial information regarding the principal? Need to review the principal's files. The surety should be aware of any positions taken by the principal if there was an exchange of correspondence about performance or threats to terminate. Obviously, we need to see the obligee's files. The surety should be aware of any expressions of concern by the obligee as to the principal's performance and or threats to terminate the principal. Now, turning to the specific question of financing the principal when there's been no declaration of default or the assertion of a claim, a surety may need to consider whether to provide financing when the principal has not been declared in default. The surety should be concerned that if it provides financing to the principal prior to a declaration of default, it may be deemed to be acting as a volunteer and potentially lose its subrogation rights or any credit against the penal sum that it might otherwise have had. Research suggests that any determination of whether the surety could be considered to be a volunteer if it finances before default declaration depends on one, how a volunteer is defined, two, what are the equities of the situation, and three, what are the terms of the applicable performance bond or other agreement statutes, rules, or regulations. Obviously, all of this is jurisdiction specific. There is a large body of case law that provides that a formal declaration of default is not required for a surety to be entitled to perform under its performance bond by financing the principal. In Royal Indemnity Company v. U.S., a 1967 court, uh, decision out of the Court of Claims, the court stated no formal declaration of default is required. All that is necessary for the surety to prevail is that as a result of the principal's default, the surety has become obligated to pay under its bond. Similarly, in Massachusetts Bonding and Insurance Co. of New York versus New York, 1958 decision, the court held that the surety was a completing surety for purposes of asserting its subrogation rights when the surety financed a principal and no formal declaration of default was made. Further, in Aetna Casualty and Surety, which I referenced earlier, the court observed neither formal termination of the contract by the government nor execution of a takeover agreement by the surety is necessary in order for a surety to qualify as a performance surety. Generally, the payment must be made under compulsion or for the protection of some interest of the one making the payment and in discharge of an existing liability. In, in, in Ray Ram Construction Co., uh, bankruptcy decision out of the Western District of Pennsylvania in 1983, the court rejected a lender's argument that because there was no formal declaration of default, the financing surety's subrogation rights in the bonded contract funds were inferior to the bank's perfected security interest rights. The court ruled that the surety had priority to the bonded contract funds, observed that the bank's position sought to elevate formality over substance, and stated, quote, 
Whether a formal default has been declared is arguing about angels on the head of a pin, unquote. All right, so the requirement of actual default. The primary factor guiding the court in concluding that a formal declaration of default, that is a formal declaration of default, is not required for a financing surety to be considered a performing surety, is that the principal be in, quote, actual default. Great American Insurance Co. versus U.S., a 1973 decision out of the, um, what circuit? I'm not sure, but it was the federal circuit, stated that it is not necessary that there be a formal declaration of the contractor's default. All that is necessary for the surety to prevail is that the contractor be in default as a matter of fact. A default exists when the principal is financially unable to perform its bonded contract. The court reason the courts reason that because the principal is in default and unable to perform the bonded contract, the surety's financing the principal to complete the performance of the work is performance that the surety is obligated to provide under the terms of the bond. The existence of an actual principal default is also the basis for concluding that the surety is not acting as a volunteer. Close analysis of the cases addressing the lack of a declared default reveals that several such cases involved circumstances when the obligee was on notice of the surety's financing. The principal may have provided the obligee with a letter of direction stating that the surety is to receive future payments of the bonded contract funds or an assignment of future payments to the surety was provided. In some cases, the principal issued a voluntary letter of default. While no default was formally declared by the obligee, in those cases, when the obligee was on notice of the surety's financing, it could be argued that under the circumstances, there was an obligee's de facto declaration of default or consent. Turning to the issue of being a volunteer, in Lacey versus Maryland Casualty Company, the surety provided financing before any formal declaration of default. This is a Fourth Circuit decision from 1929. In response to an argument that the surety had no rights to the bonded contract funds, the court observed that there can be no question that the surety provided financing, not as a volunteer, but because of legal necessity, i.e. because it had guaranteed the performance of the contract and the contractor was financially unable to perform it. It is the payment under necessity because of the contract of suretyship and not the breach of the principal's contract, which entitles the surety to subrogation. It has been recognized that one, when one acts under compulsion or to protect its own interests and property, they are thereby a they are not thereby a volunteer. Now there is an issue with the A311 and A312 bond forms. As noted above, a surety needs to be aware of the fulfillment of conditions precedent before it is obligated to act. Courts have routinely observed that the conditions of the A311 performance bond and the A312 performance bond are conditions precedent and if those conditions precedent are not satisfied, the surety may be discharged and or has no obligation to perform. However, the issue of the surety's waiver of the conditions precedent should also be considered. When the surety's financing of the principal occurs before an obligee's formal declaration of default, the principal is generally actually in default as a matter of fact, and the surety and principal are attempting to avoid a formal declaration of default and termination by engaging in the financing. Accordingly, it may be argued that the surety's action in financing the principal after an actual principal default, but before a declaration of default constitutes the surety's mitigation of damages. Under such conditions, 
or circumstances, the surety's waiver of the conditions precedent in a performance bond such should not make the surety a mere volunteer with respect to the obligee and the surety's subrogation rights to the bonded contract funds. Now, there's simply not enough development of the issues through case law to fully analyze the issue of whether a surety may finance the principal under an A311 bond or an A312 bond prior to an obligee declaration of default and satisfaction of the conditions precedent. In the absence of clear case law authority, the surety faced with the decision of whether or not to finance the principal's performance of the work on a bonded contract should be considered whether it should do so only with the knowledge and consent of the obligee and the principal, consistent with the terms of the relevant performance bond. <clears throat> now, the financing surety as a performing surety, when does the surety have to pay? What does the surety have to pay and when in order to become a performing surety? The case law on the surety's financing of the principal rarely addresses what funding or payments the surety must make in order to constitute the performing surety's financing of the principal. The cases generally refer to funding from the surety to allow the principal to complete the bonded project and to pay the principal subcontractors and suppliers. However, and getting to a point that Mike brought up before, there is generally little discussion of the payment of field office overhead, home office overhead, apportionment of insurance costs, owned equipment costs, and other expenses that are spread over the principal's various projects, bonded and or non-bonded. In Aetna Casualty and Surety Company versus U.S., the surety provided financing to fund the principal's operations under the bonded contracts. The Aetna court observed that not all funds provided to a principal would constitute the surety's performance and that the nature and extent of the surety's financing of the principal must be examined. The court did note that federal taxes were expressly part of the performance bond obligation under the Miller Act and that the nature and extent of the financing in this case establishes that Aetna was acting as a performance surety. If the surety seeks an agreement with the obligee concerning the surety exercising its financing of the principal rights under the performance bond, the scope and application of the surety's payments to be made should be memorial excuse me, should be memorialized in any resulting agreement with the obligee and with the principal. Penal sum issues and what is the limit of the surety's performance bond liability? Another question of critical importance is the fact or the impact that the surety's financing of the principal may have on a reduction of the penal sum of the performance bond. Will that funding and those payments made by the surety in financing the principal reduce the penal sum of the bond for that bonded contract, thereby reducing the surety's liability for other costs and expenses that may arise under the performance bond? If the surety is financing the principal with the knowledge and consent of the obligee, the issue of the reduction of the penal sum as a result of the surety's financing uh, should be discussed with the obligee and made a part of the agreement with the obligee. Now, it is generally recognized and held by the courts that the penal sum of the surety's performance bond is the limit of the surety's liability absent extraordinary circumstances. Because financing is recognized as the surety's performance option under many performance bonds, when the surety exercises the financing option, the surety may be entitled to protection of the penal sum and it should operate in the same manner and be reduced as it may be reduced during the surety's performance under any other performance bond option. Now, it cannot be overemphasized that the terms and provisions of the applicable performance bond must be reviewed and the relevant case law considered. 
addressing the issue of whether the surety is financing the principal's performance of the work on a bonded contract with or without the obligee's consent will reduce the penal sum of the performance bond. However, obtaining the obligee's consent and agreement to any such reduction based upon a description of what the obligee and the surety agree are valid performance bond payments should, with respect to the obligee, reduce the penal sum of the performance bond for the surety's payments and loss for its financing of the principal for its performance of the bonded contract. Now, another quick topic is just advantages and disadvantages in financing the principal. I'm not going to get into all the details. Uh, I'm going to list them primarily. There are a number of apparent advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the following is a list of generalized, recognized, generally recognized advantages. A learning curve. The principal is familiar with the construction means and methods employed on the bonded project. A placement contractor require time to organize and become familiar, and that learning curve becomes expensive to a surety and may also possibly increase liquidated damages. Two, demobilization and mobilization, job momentum and continuity. When the surety is financing the principal enables the principal to continue with the performance and completion, the shutdown of the project is avoided, job disruptions are minimized, and the principal subcontractors hopefully remain on the project and the continuity may be maintained. Completion contractor markup is a third uh, uh, potential uh, the completion contractor must mark up the bid price for both profit and overhead. Assuming the principal is performing the work efficiently and economically, additional contingencies allows allowances and markups, overhead and profit may be avoided. Uh, principal's image and presence and preservation of claims is a fourth consideration. Keeping the principal out in front and the surety in the background may minimize many of the problems with the obligees and the principal's creditors. Uh, keeping the principal in place avoids as bill drawings, project records, and documents, certification approvals, et cetera, from getting lost. Subcontracts it may prevent, um, financing may prevent a declaration of default and termination and preserves the principal subcontract and uh, purchase orders. Uh, number six, reduce the potential claims of the principal and indemnitors against the surety. Um, that's pretty self-obvious, I think. Self uh, seven is salvage considerations. The surety can obtain collateral from the principal and indemnitors to the extent they have it as a condition to the surety rendering financial assistance. Uh, it ebbs and flows with depending upon what status projects are under and how much money they have, obviously. Potential disadvantages in financing the principal. Possible no credit against the performance bond penalty. We've discussed that. And it depends largely on the applicable law and the jurisdiction in which you're dealing with, the ability to reach agreement with the obligee, uh, fixing the loss. The surety may be unable to fix or cap the amount of the loss if it finances the principal. You will not know until the final amount of its loss unless, until the last bonded contract is completed and funds are collected. Uh, payment of claims not covered by the performance bond. There's always a risk that the surety financing the principal may have to satisfy the principal's debts that are not covered by the performance bond or the payment bond. Uh, we need to be very, very careful to um, be sure what's being paid and how it's being allocated. And then there are, of course, non-bonded projects. When the principal has extensive non-bonded contract work, the surety faces a dilemma. Uh, unless there's a security agreement and files financing statements to protect security interests uh, in the non-bonded contract funds could be very problematic. Um, 
costs of monitoring the work and administering the process. Uh, when you uh, end up uh, taking over a project, obviously there's costs of monitoring the work and finance of the uh, and financing the principal. There's cost of monitoring the work of a finance principal. Completing the work. Um, that's always problematic, especially when you got the 10% problem or the tail end letdowns. Uh, oftentimes, principals um, peter out at the end, and they don't have as much incentive to complete the work. Um, final, finally, the potential risk to the surety beyond the penal sum of the performance bond, which we've talked about. Um, I'm going to turn to uh, Mike to uh, wrap up with this segment of the uh, production and they're going to be he's going to itemize a number of areas that we're going to need to follow up on as part two and or part three of this presentation thank you okay thank you rich I want everybody to know that uh you know my wife and i are celebrating that anniversary and uh, we went out to this famous dessert place here in richmond and i got a huge like seven layer cake piece of birthday cake and i've been sitting here eating it in front of rich so He's a little annoyed. <laughs> but before I open up the, the line for any questions, I want to let everyone know about the uh, next edition of Surety Today, which will be on Monday, of course, at 1230 on August the 8th. Uh, other topics related to financing, as Rich uh, noted, I think the topic is so rich uh, for discussion, we've got to probably break it up into a couple different segments. But uh, the next time we'll, we'll visit the issue of the, the principal's request for financial assistance and what the surety should require, uh, the more specific investigation before the surety agrees to finance the principal, the methods uh, available to the surety when financing the principal, intercreditor agreements, interim financing, the mechanics of the uh, of, and the procedures uh, for financing the principal. So there's a lot of a lot of topics to discuss related to financing, and we'll uh, get to those uh, in in later episodes. And George and I. Uh, wrote the latest chapter in the bond default manual on financing. I think that's uh, version four of that document, of that uh, book. So you can check that out for more details. Uh, some upcoming events in the surety world. On August 17th through the 19th, the, uh, the ABA FSLC will hold its annual meeting in Nashville to uh, make up for the canceled meeting this past January. Uh, on September 7th through the 9th, the Perlman Conference will be held in uh, Washington, uh, the, the state, not the city. September 21st through the 23rd, the Northeast Fidelity and Surety Claims Conference will be held in Atlantic City, New Jersey at the Ocean Resort. Of course, uh, WCS is a, a longtime co-sponsor of the conference, and uh, I will be presenting at the conference um, this year. Uh, this will be the first in-person Northeast Conference since the pandemic started. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And I'm going to unmute the line here and see if we have it. It's now in talk mode. Okay. If there are any questions, Rich and I are happy to try to answer. Doesn't sound like we got questions, Rich. Maybe that's good. I, you know, you were thorough. I think you were thorough. So, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you again next month. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page 
of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.